Okay, well, we're, we're going to go somewhere this morning. Lines up perfectly with what we're singing and praising the Lord, Lord about. I, I want to spend all of my time on God. You know, there's no wasted time with God. One, he doesn't waste time. I waste time. But if I'm spending my time with God, I'm not wasting my time. It's just not happening. There's, there's no way to do it. I just can't. And so we're going we're gonna to go there a little bit this morning. Um, and then I'm just going to go right into it. We're going to Psalm 145. The Lord kind of kept me here for the last three, three weeks or so, just breaking apart um, these first three verses and then a few others throughout, throughout this uh, psalm. Here's where to start. Let me just read it. And I want you to focus in on how David decides he would spend his days on earth. He's saying, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Amen. Amen. This is how he says, I'm going to spend my days. Every day, praising the name of God. Every day, blessing his name. And so the question that is throughout Scripture, it's just in our face all of the time, is how are you spending your short number of days on earth? How are you using them up? If you, if you live to 90 or beyond, you know how many days that is on earth? It's just over 30,000. Not a big number. Not really that big of a number. And now I'm talking at 30 years old. I just passed 10,000 days. Uh, but I can, I can imagine at, at these higher generations, I'm going to say higher generations, you know, we're not going to use the O word around here. Uh, the mature people, yeah, seasoned, seasoned people, yeah, well marinated, was that the, no, oh, <laughs> no, not that seasoning, okay, okay, seasoned, got it, got it, okay, got it, experienced, I, I, I've heard, yeah, wise, I've heard that the older you get, the more you feel just the pressing of time. And that, man, time is really, really short. I feel extremely fortunate that the Lord has pressed this into my heart as young as I am. And I think part of it is having kids young, but most of it is the Lord's work in, in a person's heart. Because, you know, with kids all the time, I come home, and especially with all the little ones running around church, you come and all of a sudden it's like, bam, one day they just grew up. And, and I, it happens with me, Ronan and Amelia, all the time, my five and three-year-old. All of a sudden I come home and, okay, you looked different when I left this morning. And now you are, you just exited a phase and I wasn't given any warning, it's just gone. It's just gone. And one day, we all will look at our life and with Jesus, examine it. And the question's going to be asked, how did you spend your days? I gave you X amount and all of the power you needed to live a fulfilling life to live a purposeful, meaning life. What did you do with it? And all throughout Scripture, this question is in your face. You, you're reading these stories, and you're understanding the life of Jesus, and you're seeing how Paul spoke about his life, and you're seeing what the disciples did with theirs, and you're like, man, life is short. My life is short. How am I spending it? And am I wasting it? Now, I'm going to use that word waste a few times this morning. But I do need to be clear that every life has purpose and meaning. That purpose and meaning, though, is found in God. Okay? 
So there shouldn't be anyone that leaves this place this morning thinking my life is a waste. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there is a way to waste your meaningful life. There is a way. And we do it a lot. And King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes is a beautiful book, about 11 or 12, 12 chapters long. When you really study it, it's broken down very well. It's like this guy had an intense wisdom behind him or something. And, or something. The wisest man to ever live, yeah, or something. Um, and he goes throughout this, and the, and the, the thing he says, King Solomon, he could have anything he wanted. And he said, I, I've tried it all. I built monuments that'll survive past me. Nope, didn't work. It's all vanity. It's all going to turn to dust one day anyways. So I tried putting, inscribing my name on things so that my name would live on. He's like, one day, my name will be forgotten. My achievements will be known by no one. He's like, okay, then I'm going to spend my life filling it with as many pleasures as I can. I'm going to go for accumulation. Nope, that didn't work. Okay, all the, all the foods that the world has to offer here. Nope, didn't work. Okay, pleasures, and I'm going to fulfill every desire, and I am not going to keep anything away from myself. Any desire or pleasure I have, I am going to see it fulfilled. And we know he was King Solomon, so he could do it. And, nope, didn't work. He leaves us in the very last chapter by saying, the only way to not waste your life is the fear of God and keeping his commandments. The only way to not waste your life is to set your heart focused on the one true God. The only way to find that fulfillment and that meaning is through the one who provides the fulfillment and the meaning. And all through Ecclesiastes, you see that he's painting this picture of, listen, life is not supposed to be this thing where we spend the whole time chasing fulfillment, chasing meaning, and never getting it. It's not supposed to be a chase. It's supposed to be a lifelong of receiving from God, amen? And then pouring out. And so there is for each of us a life of fulfillment and meaning that God has for us. But he's saying this simple thing. It just requires you to set your heart on me and I'll provide it to you. You're going to find again and again and again, though, that you're wasting your time if you set your heart on anything else and expect the same result as I can give. And we see it all throughout Scripture. This is what's being said to us. And King David in this 145th Psalm arrives at the same thing. And he declares it. So every day... I will praise my God and King. Because that is the only answer. Amen? That is the only answer. It's a life lived, dedicated to God. It's the life following after Jesus. Right now, every day, wherever he may lead. And Paul says it this way. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. It's all about him, even in the end. Because really... It's through the end into eternity. How are we spending our life? And my prayer this morning is that we would hear from the Lord and that he would want to encourage us. And I know this is kind of solemn talk, but there is encouragement in all this <laughs> because he is good. And it's not like, oh, you're never going to live a life worth living. No, he has it for you right now, right here. So my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would convict us in the way that he does that leads to repentance and freedom. Amen? Amen. And so hear from the Lord this morning and what he is, he is saying to you. And I am just going to preach what the Lord has highlighted on my heart and said, speak these things. So we're going to speak these things. And we're going to go over using 
Psalm 145 is kind of a template. We're going to go over this morning the five characteristics of the life worth living. Five characteristics of the life worth living. Or let me, let me say it this way. It's five characteristics of a life lived for Jesus. Or five characteristics of the heart set on God. I couldn't decide on which one to use. So we're going with all three. However, you need, however you, it works to frame it in your mind, they, they all work. And this is not a comprehensive list. There's more to this list. This is just what I think the Lord has for us this morning. And so hear from him. And I'm going to give you the outline right now. I'm going to give you the outline. So all of you note takers, here's, here's the outline. Um, five characteristics are these. Humility. Humility. I'm living for him. Resolve. Every day for him. Stewardship. I'm really looking forward to getting to this one. Stewardship. Tell of his greatness. We have a duty to do that. Nearness. I want closeness to his presence. In his presence is where I want to be. And the fifth one, gratitude. What else can I do but say thank you, God? So this is where we're going this morning. So there, there's your outline. There's your, there's your breakdown. And then you see that those there on the screen. There for you to write down if you're a note taker. The opposite of these describe the life wasted. Do you want to live your life in pride and for yourself? Many have tried it. All found the same conclusion. It's not worth it. Yeah. How many of you have tried it? Yeah. Not worth it. Not worth it. Resolve. Hey, this is not a one day a week deal. This is every single day. There, there is a a resolve that has to meet this conviction that the Lord has put put on our heart to follow him. If you don't live with resolve, then you're just kind of wishy-washy. There's no commitment that's made. Stewardship. And this is really to tell of his greatness. There's a lot of ways to phrase this one, but the opposite of this really is to say, I'm not going to tell of the Lord's greatness. I'm going to put myself on the spot. I'm going to tell of all my achievements, my glory days. Nearness. If you want to waste your life, make sure you run as far away from God as you possibly can. And then, and then gratitude. The ungrateful life, it's not worth it. You, just, you turn into this grouchy grump that hates the world. You're cynical about everything. It's just, and you're just, it's just wasted time. So let's go in, let's go into these five. Humility. The first four words of Psalm 145 start with this. I will extol you. I will extol you. These are words that only the humble heart can declare. Only the humble heart can declare. Because to extol is to enthusiastically praise and lift high. And so when he's saying, I'm going to enthusiastically praise and lift high you, well, pride will never allow that to happen. But the humble heart is postured perfectly to do just that. Say, say, God, I will lift you high. And from this posture of humility, I can live for his glory. But if I take up the, this position of pride, I'll seek after my own glory. And so I will extol you. Your journey in humility following Jesus begins with these three words. I will extol and then it continues with declaring exactly who. God, you I will extol. Because our pride will never allow another to become the focal point in any respect. Our pride won't allow it. It wants it focused on me. That could be I'm the hero or I'm the victim. Either way, I'm the focus. And I cannot live for Christ as long as I'm living for myself. A real simple logic there. But one we get tripped on, up on so quickly. 
I cannot live for Christ as long as I'm living for myself. So I will extol you. And just so that the relationship is clear, he continues, my God and King. This is who you are. This is who you are to me. Let no one be fooled about this relationship. This is my God, and I am lowly in comparison, and it is he who lifts me up. I'm incapable of doing it myself. It's futile. If there is anything great to be said about me, it's his greatness. Anything you like about me, it's him, not me. It's his power through me, amen? Amen. Because no one likes Stephen without Jesus. No one does. I don't like Stephen without Jesus. That guy is a mess. And he thinks he knows it all. And he doesn't. If there's anything at all to be said about me, it's the greatness of God. Pride cannot say that. But the humble heart will declare it again and again and again. Pride gets in the way of this relationship. It rejects God as God and rejects God as king. It says, nope, I want that spot for myself. And I'm going to declare myself as a supreme ruler of my life. Mm. That's good. Yeah, pride, Eric said, pride wants others to like me for me. And what was that last part? Without Jesus. Yes. Pride wants others to like me for me without Jesus. And so it's only me. Just, just Stephen. Just Stephen. It won't let another in. There's no room for it. And if God is the only one who satisfies and the only one who brings meaning and fulfillment, then what pride does is it cuts us off from that which we actually deeply desire that which your soul, your soul is thirsting and hungering for. And we know in James it says God opposes the proud. We're cut off from that which we desperately need. So the distance you feel between you and God is created by your pride. It's created by our pride. It creates this chasm come to church every Sunday, you open up your Bible, but yet still, why is there this gap? I can lift up my hands in worship, but it still feels just like a emotion, not, a, not an act of true surrender, because the prideful heart is not in surrender. Pride won't consult God. Pride doesn't see its obvious need. Pride doesn't lift others up, and pride doesn't listen. Listen, pride becomes earplugs to our hearts and minds and our souls. God's trying to speak something to you, and you will not listen. This is why in Hebrews, twice he says, do not harden your hearts as in the day of the rebellion. Don't do that. Listen to God. Open yourselves up to receive from him. Humble yourselves before him. I want to point out this too. It should not go, we should not overlook who is saying all of this in, in, in this psalm. This is, this is King David. King David, the warrior poet of Israel. The mighty king. He's saying all of this from his position as king. There is no one on earth at this time who is greater than he is. He is the man. And so yet he's saying, no, I may wear this physical crown that has been placed on my head, and even God has anointed me for this position, but he is God, and he is king. The humble heart knows only one king and one throne to which all bow. It's God and his throne. David's saying, it isn't about me. It's not about this life. It's not about this kingdom. It's not about my achievements. It's about him. It's always been about him. And it's been for him and it's been by him the entire time. And you look at verse, verse 3 where he says, uh, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness, there's no end to it. 
There's no end to it. it it's, it's unsearchable. You, you cannot find the end of it. So how, how do I even compare to that? And he's like, I don't. This is my God. This is my king. And this is why Paul often refers to himself and others and all believers as servants and slaves. Because like them, it's not about the servant or the slave. It's about the master. And as a humble follower of Jesus, the posture of my heart should be, Jesus, it's all about you. I am a servant. I am a slave to you. You tell me what to do. You tell me where to go and what to say. My thoughts, my ideas, my preferences, they all take a back seat to yours. And Jesus doesn't come to us and say, hey, why don't you come and help me lead in this journey? I could really use your help over here trying to figure out where we're going. No, what does he say? He says, come follow me. Period. As a command, come follow me. Surrender your heart to me. I am the way. I will show you. And it's so fitting that Jesus would say these things because we're told in Philippians that he is the supreme example of humility for all believers. He says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Right before that, he was talking about humility, saying, be humble. Count others as more significant to your, as yourself to the point that you see to their interests. Cast off the pride. Humble yourself and love others. Amen? This is how Jesus lives. And then he goes, I, I, don't want to sp- I, I chose not to spend time in, to, in this because I'm waiting for our, our Bible study where Adam will go into the, these verses. It's Philippians chapter 2. We'll be there in probably, I don't know, three or four weeks. Here works. It's good. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He, he sets this standard of humility for us. In humility, we posture ourselves to receive God's grace. Look at James 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen to this. The power of God's grace is available to those who humble themselves. Who humble themselves. And it's the power of his grace which our lives desperately need. So humble yourself before God. This is a grace that guides us. It's a grace that heals us. It's a a grace that refreshes us in his peace. It carries our worries and anxieties. And Jesus is freely giving all of this, the satisfying and abundant life found only in him to those who would surrender their hearts to him in humility. Pride will always refuse it, which sounds so ridiculous. Because it is. You're going to refuse the satisfying, abundant life because you can't get over yourself? No, Jesus is like, I'll give it to you. But I'm going to be the one doing all the work here. I'm going to be the one getting all the glory here. So submit yourself to me. Come in humble surrender and open your arms to receive. And so, Humility is simply this, what what David said, we declare in our hearts, I will extol you, my God and King, forever and ever. Amen? Amen? Declare this in your hearts, I will extol you, my God and King, forever and ever. This is humility. Now let's get into resolve. It's not just today, but every day, forever. Psalms 145.2 says this, Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Listen, the life worth living is all in. All in. There's no backing out. There's no plan B. All in. Every day, forever and ever, you, my God, I will extol you and I will bless your name. Resolve is to have a, a fierce determination and a fierce dedication to a thing. 
I've resolved to do X, Y, or Z. It's really a word that puts in this other word, which is, which is fight, and a, and, a, and a little bit of aggression in there. I'm going to aggressively go after this thing. I'm going to put all of my efforts in to this thing. It is going to take a lot to stop me. Right? Yeah, yeah. Put a little grunt in there. Yeah. If I'm going to resolve to do anything, it's going to be to live by faith for God and by God. And we see this as something that pops up again and again in all of the men and women of faith throughout Scripture. There's this like, and it is, the spirit-filled resolve that comes over them. It says, I am not going to be stopped. Lion's den or fiery furnace, I don't care. It's all about God. It's that kind of resolve. It's that kind of dedication. It takes a, a planting of the feet, a firmness, a, 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 an unmovableness, where we see Joshua in, uh, tw- in Joshua 24, 15, saying, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Amen? You make your decision. You decide. But me, I am planting myself right here. Make your decision and stick to it. It takes a resolve because faith is an action word and there is, there is doing involved. It's doing involved. And we could go through a study of James to, to talk about that. But it's about doing, about going somewhere about seeing to the work that he's put before us. If you try to live your faith without a fierce resolve, then you'll notice something. There's going to be very little doing happening. James actually goes as far to say, there's not going to be any doing. James says, this is the effect of the double-minded, the people who sit on the fence. Kind of wallowing between God and, well, maybe this other thing over here. In uh, 1 Kings, we, we get a, another glimpse of this wallowing happening where Elijah is confronting the people and the prophets of Baal, and he says this, says, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? This oh, over here, and oh, maybe I'll be a little bit over here, and He says, if the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Let me say this. I think the Holy Spirit says this to us more often than we think he does. If he's God, then follow him. Dedicate yourself to him. How long is this limping about going to go? Because you want to know why he's so frustrated. It's because sitting on the fence is just as damaging as refusing God because it causes you to flip-flop in and out without any commitment. And so you flop into God, but because you're not truly committed, you don't actually receive all that he has for you. And so then you're unsatisfied with where you're at in Jesus. So what do you do? Oh, this isn't working. Must be something wrong with the salt mine here. Man, I'm going to flop out for a bit. And then what do you tell people later? I gave church a try. You don't give church a try. That's that sitting on the fence language. You're flopping in and out. And you see how it's self-defeating? If you flop in, you're not going to receive that which God has for you. And it's only going to frustrate you. And you're only going to find yourself back out again because you were never really in. And so he's saying, make your decision. What will it be? Are you with him? Are you for him? Are you in surrender to him? And if so, let's start lining your life up with that fact. And let's start installing a resolve to your life that says, I will live by faith every single day. And I will declare God, my God, every single day. And I will bless the name of the Most High every single day, forever and ever. I love how he says it, forever and ever, on into eternity. I will die one day, 
But I know, again, in him, I will be singing his praises. That's a beautiful statement he makes. I wish I understood the original language, you know, because there is a beautiful poetry here that's taking place. No one accidentally lives by faith or gets to it when they have time. It just doesn't happen. You know what you get time? You, you, you always have time to do the things that are on the top of your priority list. You always have time to do the things that you resolve to do. I may have a thousand things to do this week. I'm going to get to maybe a hundred of them, maybe. Because guess what? Those other things are not really a priority. If we're not resolving to live by faith, you just won't. It's not going to happen. There has to be a resolve in there. You know what's great about all of this, though? Is that the Holy Spirit comes and meets, he'll, he'll meet your declaration of resolve, and he'll actually empower it. So he, he actually comes in, and he starts, he's the one who activates it, and then sustains it. So it's another thing where it's like, man, it's not even like really about you. He, he makes it in and it, it happens. So you're like, man, that sounds really, really tough. And yeah, it has its tough moments. But at the end of your life, you're going to stand there and say, wow, the Lord did an amazing, unsearchable work in my life. I, it happened to me and I don't even know how to explain it. That's what you'll say. I was there. I have, hardly have words to explain it. Faith requires resolve because it means obeying regardless of these three things. It means obeying regardless of the feelings within us. It means obeying regardless of the circumstances around us. And it means obeying regardless of the consequences before us. That's what resolve will empower us to do. It's a life of resolve because every day God is calling us to praise him and to know him and to set ourselves to the good works he has prepared us for. A life for God's glory is the only one worth living. And it's going to require a firm resolve. Uh, regardless of feelings within us, uh, circumstances around us, and con consequences before us. And this is one, one of those things, it's an odd circumstance where I love that the Lord works like this, started following a church on Instagram a few years ago. I don't even know why. It's just this church and the pastor is saying some good stuff. And then this popped up, this, this little blurb popped up. And I was like, gosh dang, that is so good. That is solid stuff right there. The Lord's like, throw that in. It's getting in there. So we humble ourselves before the Lord. We resolve to live a life of faith. And then there's this stewardship. This is the third characteristic. This stewardship that takes place. It's a responsibility to tell of his greatness. A responsibility to tell of his greatness. David says this many times in a lot of different psalms. And here's how he says it in Psalm 145, this is verses 4 and 6. He says, one generation shall commend your works to another. Stop for a second. He says, this is what will happen. This happens from generation to generation, and it has not not happened. One generation after the next. This is what happens. This is how great our God is. This will happen regardless. Okay? And, and, and these generations shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. And they shall speak of the, mighty, the might of your wondrous deeds, and I will declare your greatness. You know what David is saying here? This tradition has gone on since the beginning and will continue on into eternity, and I will be a part of it. I will make myself a part of this tradition of declaring your wondrous works to the next generation. I will meditate on all of your wondrous works previous me. I will meditate on all of your wondrous works that you've done in my life. And then I will with my mouth speak them to the next generation so that they too may know 
of the wondrous ways in which you, mighty God, have worked. Amen? And this is the, the responsibility that we have. This is how we're to spend our lives. Let me ask you this. How are we, what are we leaving in our wake? I kind of imagine this kind of like either dust cloud behind us as we're running. You know, we're running this race and there's like this little dust cloud behind us. Or you're, you know, on, on a boat, you know, and you have the wake behind the boat and whatnot. And I, and, and I kind of see this picture. I, I wish I could draw it, but I'm not an artist. Just not that kind of artist, I guess. But I, I just see this and like what is being left behind as I'm going about in my life? Not just when I die, but every single day. Is the dust just kicking up images of Stephen and what I think is great about me and what I want other people to know about me? Or as in my comings and goings, is the greatness of God being declared in my life? Is this the wake that I'm leaving behind that, that is declaring his goodness? I, help, I hope one day to tell, and I will, but I hope one day to tell my kids of my life. And my prayer now is that I tell it accurately. And that regardless of whatever mental state I'm in, all the way to the end, that I'll be able to tell it accurately. Which is to say, to speak of God's greatness. I may hardly be able to get a, a blubber of a word out in the end. But I hope to say God has been great to me my entire life. Because there's nothing else worth passing on than the knowledge of God's love and goodness for all of us and how great he is. If I pass on to the next generation a great fortune but neglect to speak of the greatness of God, I have utterly wasted my time. It is a waste of time. Do not neglect to speak with your mouth the testimony of God's goodness that you have bore witness to in your life. And I'll say this, as a younger generation, to, to most of you in this room, one of the things that I want to hear is how has God worked in your life? How? This past week, I've, I, I've heard a few different stories and uh, came across, we actually came across um, an old picture of the salt mine. And back before, I didn't even recognize the inside of this place. Man, you guys were doing some, you guys were making it work in here. That's what you were doing. And saw the outside of the building and, and I was just like, man, it, there is something that the Lord did in me as dots were being connected about how marvelous he is and how he has done this from one generation to the next. And I get to be a part of it and we all do for the next generation. And I'm so glad that there's these there's this kind of record of his goodness. But you're a part of that. You're a part of the record of his goodness. You have it in your heart and mind what he's done. It's not there just for you, although it is there for you to remember his goodness, you personally, but it's also there for you to encourage for us to encourage one another in saying, remember how good God was in this circumstance? And that circumstance isn't too different from this one. And so won't he be good again to me? Again and again, amen? amen. Everything you have is to be used to tell of his goodness and to tell of his greatness. Whatever skills and giftings, whatever... Um, uh, achievements, uh, 
Whatever advantage, I'll put a quotes around that, whatever advantage you may even have in life is to be used to tell of his greatness and goodness because the life worth living tells and passes on to the next generation what they must know. And bold that word, what they must know. They must know the knowledge of the love of God which surpasses all understanding. That's what they must know. This is as youth pastor of the salt mine, what the Lord has put on my heart for the generation that comes through our youth group year after year. They must leave knowing his goodness and his greatness. So what is in the wake behind me? What, it, what is it made up of? Is it, is it just dust kicking up that's telling stories of my glory days? how it used to be back in high school? Yeah. <laughs> or is it of the love of God? Yeah, no, it can't be that. <laughs> yeah. It has to be of the love of God. Time well spent is time speaking and displaying the greatness of God and his works to one another and to the next generation. We all have a story to tell. Go tell it. Declare his greatness. Listen to what David says in Psalm 71. This is 15 and 16. He says, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts. I want to highlight this. My mouth. Speak them. Speak them. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come and I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Amen. If you want to leave a lasting legacy, this is what Eric said, if you want to leave a lasting legacy, this is the only way to do it. I give it maybe two or three generations between before my name is forgotten. And I know that because I, I don't even remember, I don't know the names of my great-grandparents. And I know some people that can go back maybe three or four, but all they know is the name. And that's it. And then what are they doing? A lot of the times they're going back like, Mom, Dad, who, who was this again? Who was this? Why? Because... There's only one name that won't be forgotten. Amen? Amen? And so that's the name I'm de going to declare day after day for the rest of my life on into eternity. On into eternity. That's the legacy that lasts. That's the life worth living. It's about him. It's about him. And the life worth living, there's this fourth characteristic and it's nearness to God. Now this is time well spent. Nearness to God. There is no wasted time in, the, in his presence. Look what, he, look what David says in Psalm 145, 17 to 18. He says, The righteousness, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. Call upon his name and he will draw near to you. This is to be when we're close to him. It's near, close to being near to the kindness of God, being near to the goodness of God, being near to all those things that, which we desire. That's, that's where I want to be in his presence, which saves and protects and gives rest, and we find peace and joy in all those things. And, and those running the race to receive the prize, those of us running the race to receive the prize, understand their need for God. I cannot do this without him, and why would I? This is a long race. It requires a lot of endurance. Why would I do it without him? God makes himself known to us as we in truth call out to him. That is, what's it mean in truth, in truth? That is, when we see in all reality that we desperately need God. It's that truth that hits home in the heart. I cannot do this without him. I don't want to do this without him. How could I possibly imagine I could do this without him? 
The truth is, I need God. And when I call out to him in that truth, he approaches. Says he makes himself near to the humble who say, I need you, God. It's in this nearness that we find we're most satisfied. And without his presence, how do I, how do I know where to go? How do I know what to do? How do I know what to say? He, he's, he's called you to a life worth living, and he's placed a calling on each of your lives. But the power to do that and to see that happen in your life, to see God's will manifest in your life, it's going to be with him, near him as he leads, not without him. Because the truth is I need him. The truth is I'm lost without him. And the truth is that I'm lacking without him. So I urge us this morning to recognize our need for him. Say, God, I need you. It seems so basic and simple. But I think it's that way on purpose. I think I need it to be that way. He takes care of all the complication. He's saying, I'm placing this, this, there's this reality that I'm going to open your heart up to understand. You say those three words, God, I need you. It's the, it's the basis of every prayer of request, God, I need you. Because the Father makes himself known. He doesn't hide to never be found. I shared this with uh, the students on Wednesday, but when I'm playing hide-and-go-seek with Amelia, you know, she likes to play that game every now and then, hide-and-go-seek with Amelia, of course, she's super easy to find. Like, it's almost as if she didn't hide at all. Half the time, she's giggling somewhere, and it's just like, okay, there she is. But then when I go hide as a good dad, when I go hide as a good dad, do I walk outside and climb up a really high tree and chill on the roof? <laughs> No, I don't. Where do I go? I go somewhere she's going to find me. Why? Because I want to be found. Amen? And this is God. He wants to be found. Because he wants you to have him. He wants you to have him. It's the most loving thing he can do. Because he knows he's all you need. And he's everything you need. So why would he keep that which you need away from you? He makes himself available. He makes himself available to us as a loving father. Why would I do things without him when I can have him? Why not dedicate time alone with him? Again and again in the Gospels, we see Jesus wandering off alone to spend time with God. I think his example of this is enough. Go spend time with God. Draw near to him. I love Sunday mornings with, with us as we get to approach God together as a body. I love it. But I don't just approach him with you. I'm sorry. I go see him without you. Okay? I need him every single day. Amen? You, go see him. You leave today, make an appointment with God. Draw, draw near to him. He's going to draw near to you. He's going to make himself known to you every day this week. If I have a choice to live with God or without God, I'm choosing God. I do have a choice. We all have a choice. I'm going to choose God. The life worth living is a life in nearness and closeness and personal connection to God. Amen? Amen. And the worship team, you guys can make your, your way up. Because this fifth point is really simple. It's simply this, gratitude. It's thank you, God. What else can I say but thank you, God? I, I, wish I, I wish I would have went back and did an actual count on this. But I want to say, like a lot of the Psalms, I'm just going to say a lot of the Psalms have in them, start with them or end with them, God, how mighty you are, and I will bless your name forever. I am so thankful for you, God, is essentially what's being said. Thank you, God. And he ends this psalm, the 145th psalm, verse 21, saying this, I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. What else can I do but bless his name? 
What else can I do but come in humble gratitude before this almighty God who has made himself known to me and is providing himself to me and all that I need? Amen? What else can I do but come in gratitude? And I find myself, and I'm talking about myself, I find myself more and more beginning and ending my prayers with thank you, God. And it's become a very purposeful and intentional thing. Because it's almost as if in the midst of my prayer, I'm like, man, I did not say thank you enough. God, you know how thankful I am for this. And then what does the Holy Spirit do often? He comes and just amplifies that somehow. And he's like, oh, this is how thankful, man, how good he is. It's almost as if he goes through, and it happens to me a lot in worship, and he starts highlighting just seeing how I was, see how I was good to you here? Let me highlight this for a moment. See how faithful I've been to you? Let me highlight that for a moment. And let me focus your heart in on it for a moment. And all I can do is say, thank you, God. How great are you, God? The one, one of the most astonishing things that happens when we walk with Jesus as you, is you come to understand what life without him is all about. You get to know what life with him is all about. But then he starts to make clear what life without him was all about. How utterly empty and void and soul-sucking it is on an already dead corpse. And you become, I know it's a, kind of a little bit of a brutal image, but, but, it's, a, but it's a real image. And he starts putting you, he said, see how much you have to be thankful for? See how good I am? I want you to know my goodness. See how great I am? I want you to know my greatness. And then I want you to go and I want you to declare that to every single person I make available for you to do so. The life worth living is one lived in and for Jesus. Everything else is empty and lacking. And many of us, actually, I'm going to say everyone who's come to Jesus has come to know that as an absolute truth. Life without him, empty, lacking. You will not regret or be put to shame when you choose Jesus. I'm going to end on this verse. This is Romans 10, 11. It says, for scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Such a simple verse, a very powerful verse. You will not regret it. You will not regret it. This is the most unregretful decision you can make. It's to live a life for Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Let's worship him. And let's declare, God, I will extol you every single day. And I will follow you every single day. And I will worship you every single day because you are my God. Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us because you have done great things. You have done mighty things. You have done wondrous things worth telling about. And Father, as a body this morning, we position ourselves humbly before you and say, you are our God and King and we will live our life for you alone. I surrender all to you, Lord. And I thank you for who you are and all that you are providing in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Allow us to worship you in earnest this morning. And allow us to go from here this morning seeking a closeness to you every day. And may the beginning and end of every word we say be thank you, Father, for you are good and kind and merciful to me. Thank you, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.